Thank you very much. Good morning. So I can have my, my slides up. I'd like to apologise for the quality of my slides. It's not through me trying quite hard. If you're listening on the tape, if you picture a kind of year eight biology homework aesthetic, that's um, what we've gone for here. It's just not really my, my gift. Okay, so we're starting a series on 1 Timothy. So this is a letter in the New Testament. Um, so after the stories of Jesus, it's a letter from Paul, who um, Joe mentioned earlier, to Timothy, who is sort of his, his protege. Paul was mentoring Timothy. So it's slightly different to some of the other letters that are written to churches. Um, Timothy was in Ephesus supporting the church there, not leading the church, but supporting particularly the leadership of that church. And as we go through this book, it tackles lots of different issues. You'll see that there's a real affection for, between Paul and Timothy that Paul really loves and cares for him and wants to encourage him. Okay, so before we get into what I think is the main heart of the passage, I want to deal with an important issue. Okay, how many people would say that that picture is of scones that rhymes with gone, and how would they, who would say scones that rhymes with like bones? So who would say that that is a picture of some scones? Who would say scones? Who couldn't care less as long as they get to eat them? Okay. I, I picked this as my example of, of controversy, because the passage talks about controversy. Um, I thought, I mean, I don't know, but I thought this might be less contentious than some of the other issues, like, you know, making you put up your hand for which way you voted in various referendums, you know, in the interest of us continuing as brothers and sisters. But I could have picked lots of different controversies, because there are lots within our society, within the church, between the church and society. Homosexuality is, is mentioned in some translations of this passage. Women in leadership is an issue that this book tackles. And I could have gone for Brexit or politics or a number of different things that affect us that are much more important than how we pronounce God. And within this church, so on some of those issues, we've got that, you know, the elders have got a real clear statement of faith and clear teaching. On some of them, like politics, very strong opinions are available to those who want to ask, and sometimes those who don't, but the church doesn't have a particular view. And before... I kind of tell us to not get distracted by controversies. I just want to say that as a community, we are people that welcome questions. Questions, like Joe said, that's part of how we discover. So if you ever have questions from stuff you've read in the Bible, stuff you've heard in church, stuff you've seen on the news, and you want to know um, what people in the church think about that, if the church leadership have a stance on that, what other verses in the Bible there might be, then ask questions. This is a community where questions are welcome. It's how we grow. It what means that we're not a cult. We're not telling you what to think. We encourage questions. But that's different from indulging in controversy. Um, I mentioned this earlier. I don't go to very many conferences, but I've got quite a lot of friends that do, and one of their bugbears is that when there's a question and answer session, people who put their hands up and go, it's not really a question, it's more of a comment. And what they want to say is, this is my opinion on the matter in an environment that is actually meant to promote questions and growth. So I would say if you have questions on your faith, on a 
growing relationship with Jesus and what the Bible teaches and what this church believes or does, ask those questions. Those questions are welcome. If you ask different people, you might get different answers. If what you want to do is have an argument, show that you're right, make someone else feel small, promote controversy just for your own entertainment, then that is a distraction. And what we're going to spend the main um, bit of time this morning looking at is what it's a distraction from. Because it says in verse 3 and 4, Command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. And to me, when I read this passage, this is the heart of it. That we don't want to indulge in controversies for the sake of it because it distracts us from advancing God's work, which is by faith. And so we're going to concentrate on this. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And we're going to look in a bit more detail at each of these. And it's important to say, again, like I was saying to the children this morning, when we talk about love, the Bible says, we love because God first loved us. When we talk about love, we're talking about God's love. And then when we show other people love, that's because the Holy Spirit lives in us. God's work is love. Love is God's work. And so when we talk about love, that's the whole breadth of God as a judge, God as a father figure, God as a mother figure, God as a friend. The Bible uses a huge number of pictures and one of the things that we do in this church is try and look at all the different bits in the Bible. So as you attend week by week, you build up a picture of this huge, multifaceted, multicoloured picture of what love is and who God is. So the goal of what we're doing is love. God's huge, majestic, incredible love. And then it says, the God command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Now, as I read this, the first time I almost skipped over those kind of little sentences because they, they're perhaps little phrases that we're familiar with, but I want to dig into them a little bit this morning and hopefully to understand them a little bit better. So this is the biology homework slide. Um, so that actually when we've got a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, they together lead to love. God loves us, we love others. And that means that God's work is advanced. Now there are things that might start, some of those perhaps things that start as questions, that start from having a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But if they don't lead us to love, if they don't advance God's work, then they're just a distraction. And actually, particularly within the church, that's perhaps what's dangerous about some of the controversies, is that they start from from a good place. They start from a good conscience or from a sincere faith. Maybe it's a... I've got quite a lot of friends who are um, working and involved in the Church of England, that there's, there's questions that they wrestle with between themselves that perhaps don't impact us here, that come from a good place of them wanting to really live out God's work. But if they don't lead us to love, to love God, to love others, and they don't lead God's work to be advanced, there's no distraction, and we need to be wary of them. 
So we're going to look in a little bit more detail at each of these. So I'm going to look at them. I'm a scientist by training, so when you're doing um, an experiment, you, you try and exclude a factor and see what difference that makes. So what would love look like if we excluded the pure heart? Now, it's always worth remembering that the translation of the Bible, it wasn't written in English. So the version that we have is a translation and sometimes words have slightly different connotations in their original language. So when the New Testament talks about heart, it's normally talking about, not as we might think, you know, a Valentine's Day heart and and I love you with all my heart. Your heart is the centre of your will and your choice. So having a pure heart is about making choices towards God, making pure kind of acts of will that choose Jesus every day. And so if we don't have that, if we're not choosing it, if we're not making that act of will, then we're sort of expecting God to use us you know, as a puppet, that we're not being disciplined in it, we're not choosing it. So we're not really going to be able to love God and love others and see God's work advance if we're not willing to make those kind of core decisions, those acts of will that lead us to love. And just incidentally, what we might think of as the heart and kind of being emotion-led in the Bible is more often talked about as kind of the gut and making those kind of gut decisions. But a heart is the centre of will. And just to confuse you even more, when it says good conscience, that's not perhaps quite what we would think of as conscience. Because I'm, I'm a mum, and part of my job at the moment is to go around and speak to other mums about their experiences. And the one word that comes up all the time is guilt, in almost every conversation I have. And that we might think, oh, a good conscience is about not feeling guilty. But if you can find me a parent that doesn't feel guilty in some way about their choices, then I would love to chat to them and find out how they've got there. So good conscience isn't about whether or not we feel guilty. It's much more of a kind of community aspect of acting in a way that that is honouring to the rules of our community. It's more of a kind of honour-shame spectrum than it is about just an internal guilt feeling. So what happens if we skip this bit out, if we skip out good conscience? Well, actually, rules, rules really matter. And... Obviously, we don't want to live in you know, a community that is so dogmatic about the rules that that's all we think about. We see lots of times where Jesus addresses that with the Pharisees. But having a set of just rules and boundaries is really important for us as a community and us as a people. And if we don't have that, it's really hard to love. And just to bring up an example from the news um, recently that hopefully isn't controversial so there was a guy in America his name has slipped my mind he was running for office and he was quite involved with the church and he was endorsed by lots of church leaders and lots of evidence came out to suggest that he had sexually assaulted some teenage girls and that the church leaders basically said well that doesn't matter because he's running for office and that's more important it's more important that he gets into office and votes for stuff so we don't really mind about what he's done Well, that doesn't demonstrate love. That not caring about the rules in that incident, because that happens to be a man in power, that abandoning 
of our collective conscience is not okay. That doesn't demonstrate love, and it certainly doesn't demonstrate love to the most vulnerable. That we need that collective conscience, we need boundaries, that's really important, and without that we can't love and we don't see God's work advanced. So what about if we lose our sincere faith? Well, faith is, I think, the characteristic that Jesus most affirms in people. It's what Jesus seems to most consistently look for. Just that belief, that willingness to step out, to know who God is, to take that seriously, that we sometimes interchange faith and belief. And again, that word belief is a feeling of kind of throwing yourself on something, knowing that it will catch you, rather than just a thing that you believe is true. So when we have a faith, when we throw ourselves onto God, we are relying on him. And without that, all we've got is a decision to follow God, that we're abiding by some kind of collective community rules. That's just us. That's just us acting in our power and being do-gooders. And that's not who we are. As a people, we're not people who just do nice things for one another. We're people that believe in Jesus that he died, that he has risen from the dead, and that his Holy Spirit lives in us and works in us, that he does miracles, that he speaks to us. That if we don't have a sincere faith that God is God and that he is active and alive and working, then that love is just coming from us. It's just coming from our decisions in our heart. It's coming from our behaviour in our conscience. But God's not in that. That's just us. That's a very dry love. We need that sincere faith. Together with those community rules and boundaries and a heart to make those clear choices towards God, with all of those together, love grows and God's work is advanced. And it might still seem like abstract concepts, but helpfully, this passage provides us with some worked examples. So, Paul talks a bit about himself in this passage. So, there's a list of things here that you see. So, this love in practice, God's love in action, God's kingdom advancing, we've got some examples here of what that actually looks like. So, it looks like, in verse 12, Paul being given strength. Now, again, I... I'm almost always tired. I can't remember the last time I wasn't. I think I was about nine. And so, that God's love in action, it's like being given strength, is really important. And it might be that as we're talking about discovering and following and sharing, and we're talking about what you're going to you know, do for God, that what you might be thinking, you know what I want to do is get through the week. That God's love in action looks like you've been given strength. Verse 12, that he considered me trustworthy, appointed me to his service. Jesus says that he's called us friends. He's including us in what he's doing in building his kingdom. God's love in action looks like us being included in serving. In verse 13, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. That Paul is transformed. That if we're looking in ourselves or in others to see, well, is this, is this love at work? Is this God's work advancing? It looks like transformation. 
And it's worth saying that God doesn't always transform people in the order that we would like or at the pace that we would like. But God's work, God's love, looks like transformation. It looks like mercy and grace. So mercy is not receiving a punishment that you deserve and grace is receiving a blessing that you haven't earned. And so in our lives and other people's lives, in our community, God's work advancing looks like mercy and grace. Verse 15 says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And that's a trustworthy saying because it's almost something that we can all say. That God doesn't rank us, that we're all the worst of sinners. And Jesus accepts us. And so in Paul's life, as part of his transformation, God's work looks like humility. He's gone from believing that he was Paul when he was Saul, that he was right about everything, and that he had a right to be violent, that he had a right to kill others for his own belief. It now looks like humility. It looks like I'm the worst of sinners, and Jesus has saved me. It looks like patience. Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. That God's love is God being patient with us and us being patient with others. And finally in verse 17, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, that only God be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. That God's love in practice, God's work advancing, looks like worship. That worship is a natural extension of us kind of understanding, of us believing, of us choosing, is to think, wow, God, what have you done for me? Look what you've made. Look what you're doing. That worship is a natural part of um, God's love in action and God's work advancing. And then, more briefly, Timothy, a few verses here. So God's work in action looks like encouragement to keep going to continue to be faithful. I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recording them you may fight the battle well. There's There's encouragement and God's love in action, God's work advancing looks like God's speaking to us through the Bible, through each other, through prophetic prayer. God speaks to us and God keeps his promises. And so for us, we might like to think, well, we might need to think, what does it look like in our lives for God's work to be advancing, for God's love to be in action? Maybe in those other examples there are things that you think, yeah, I could, I could do with a bit more strength or patience. That God's offering that to you as we come to him with a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith that God's love grows in us. Through his Holy Spirit, he's working in us and God's work will advance. So just something as we finish for you to think about is not in all of these areas, perhaps there's one or two that really time with you. Over the last couple of weeks, what has it looked like for God's work to advance? in who you are, in in things that you're wrestling with personally, in your relationships with your family and your family environment, 
with your friends, perhaps especially those who don't know Jesus, in your community, with your neighbours, in your shops, at your place of work, if you're, if you're someone who works, and here at our church. So as we kind of finish with a little bit more worship and reflecting, take time to think, what, what has that looked like in the last couple of weeks? Are there ways that I can see God working? And let them lead you to worship and to see God more clearly and to thank him. And what do you want it to look like? What does, much more importantly, what does God want it to look like for his work to advance in these different areas of our lives this week?